Good morning. I'm reading from 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, And for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied upon you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now I'm introducing Aaron Roy, our guest speaker for today, and he is from Living Hope in Richmond, and he'll tell you a little bit about himself. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for Aaron today, and Lord, I just pray that you will... Just bless him with your words, and as audiences, we will just open our hearts and open our ears to what you have to say to us today. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel, for the introduction. Uh, My name is uh, Aaron Roy. I am a pastor of uh, Living Hope Neighborhood Church in Richmond, California. I moved here four years ago from the south side of Chicago and uh, planted a church in Richmond. And we're about three and a half years old. And believe it or not, God is in Richmond. Uh, it's been a great uh, journey there. I have a wife of 10 years named Sugar, and that's her real name. And uh, I have three kids. Aaron and Isaiah are eight and seven. And I have a daughter that's five. And uh, we're still new to the Bay. So uh, we're still trying to figure out what it means to, to be a Californian and all that good stuff. But I'm just really excited to be here. Pastor Albert and I are good friends. We meet for accountability quarterly, 
and uh, just ask each other hard questions, force each other to be honest with one another. And he had asked me to come this week and next week just to share with you guys, and uh, it's a real honor to, to share this pulpit. I just need to pray real quick for myself just because I'm jacked up and I need to pray. Father, I just pray really that I would not preach to try to please people. God, that I would get over my insecurities and wanting to be liked. And God, that we would really, really, really just be able to focus on this glorious passage of hope. Father, we sang that first song and it says, Lord, that we are prone to wonder. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. God, every person in this room has a dilemma right now. And that is there is a part of our hearts that is wandering, that is distracted. And Holy Spirit, we are just asking that you would quiet our hearts, help us to focus on the things of glory, keep us from distractions, and really speak to us, Lord. I don't think any of us in here, at least there shouldn't be any of us in here who are interested in just doing church this morning. So, Father, please have mercy on us, people who desperately need you. Open our eyes, Lord, to see you. Open our ears, Lord, to hear you. And soften our hearts, Lord, to receive you. And we pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Well, let's just dig right in. I'm not a funny guy, so please, if you're expecting jokes, I don't have it. And I move around, so, all right, I'm just going to stay right here like this the whole time. Uh, this is new. But, um, you know, as I was thinking about what the Lord would have me share, I just wanted to be real and talk about some things using the Word of God that I think will encourage our hearts this morning. Pastor Albert said that he's been really going through the book of Luke, and it's been, like, rough. Like, he's just been uppercutting, you know, with some really heavy truths. We need that, obviously. We need those heavy truths, and we need those hard sermons that tell us and sort of put a mirror up to our lives and tell us that we need to really go hard after God. And so he was telling me that, and I thought, okay, well, I'll I'll come in, and I just want to share and and encourage and, and just really... Um, speak to the hearts of Christians in this room. And if you're not a Christian, I believe that you're going to be informed about the hope that Christians actually have. This passage, as we just read, obviously we could spend weeks on this passage, and I don't have weeks, so we're going to go through it pretty quickly. I'll start off by asking the question, has there ever come a time in your life where you really question God? Like you really, really, those dark nights of the soul where you doubt, where you just say, man, I don't know if this is even worth it. Is this Christian thing really real? Believe it or not, I think that all of us have had those dark nights, those dark moments of the soul where we said, man, I don't know if this is worth it. Is this worth living out this Christian thing? Because it seems like the things of this world are very appealing and I want them. And yet, during those times, we say, man, is it really worth it? Maybe even last night, some of you (laughs) had those, is it worth it moments. And I think one of the, the, where the obvious times where doubt and questioning comes in is when we go through trials. 
And when we go through trials, man, we just realize that life is really messy. And we have a choice to make as we go through the messiness of life. We have a choice to make. Are we going to really trust God in this and believe God and his promises? Or are we going to try to spiritualize it and say, hey, and maneuver through the trial and save ourselves? You see, I believe that's a dilemma for every one of us. We don't say it out loud, but there's a belief crisis in our life often. Is this stuff worth it? Is this really real? Am I doing what I should be doing? Am I believing what I should be believing? Because in the midst of these trials, and we realize that we face real life problems, and these things sort of escalate our faith. Either they escalate it or we come to a place where we're like, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. You see, even as a pastor, I have... Those moments, just like everybody else, people ask me all the time, like, man, is your faith strong all the time? And I'm like, no. If you only knew those moments, those crisis moments where it's like, man, God, is this really worth it? You see, life has real problems and we face them every day. And it seems like some of us just have more problems than others. And it is in these times that we have to ask the hard questions. It seems like the ordinary life is filled with what? Tension and heartache and illness, unforeseen deaths, firings, crazy bosses, all this type of stuff. And then mixed into all this messiness and heartache and tension is like Super Bowl parties and births of children and promotions and, and things like that. And, and it's just a mixture of craziness. That's our ordinary life. And how are we as Christians supposed to live in this? How are we supposed to live in this tension where it's up and down? And one day we're praising the Lord and we think he's glorious. And the next day we're wondering, man, uh, you know, I really, really, really don't know if he is who he says he is. How are we to respond when we think of our ordinary lives that are filled with so many highs and lows? How are we supposed to inject these extraordinary supernatural truths into our life every day? How are we supposed to do this? And I guess we could ask the question, what is God trying to tell us ordinary folk who live in a messed up, messy world? What is he trying to tell us this morning with this passage? What is he trying to encourage us with? Because I don't know about you, there's times where I just ask the question, how does this whole thing work? How does this whole thing work? How am I to be a Christian in this world? You see, I think the book of 1 Peter is actually about that. How do we who are ordinary live in light of extraordinary truths? That's what I believe that 1 Peter is about. How are we who are ordinary live in light of extraordinary truths? You see, the book of 1 Peter is written to a bunch of people that are in different walks of life. And they are going through life trying to figure it out just like you and me. These people that Peter is writing to have crazy friends who I'm sure wonder you know, what their faith is all about. They have ornery bosses. They have messed up sort of family and dysfunctional families. I mean, he's writing to ordinary people like you and I. And the amazing thing about this book 
is that it's not written to Christians at this moment being beaten and persecuted like we think of when we think of the New Testament church. Yes, he is preparing them for that. He used the word suffering multiple times. But actually, this is a time of peace in the church in this region. And so they are being persecuted, but they're being persecuted like you and I are. People laughing at us and calling us small-minded. Berkeley professors telling us that I just experienced this. I don't think well (laughs) because I'm a Christian. You know, and I haven't uh, weighed the facts. I mean, we're being persecuted just like these folks. We're not being beat up and, and we're not being punched in the face. At least most of us aren't being punched in the face. We're being ridiculed for our beliefs. We are being slandered and spoken evil of. We're being mocked by so-called thinking people who think we believe in a fairy tale. And I think First Peter is refreshing for us because it's talking to us. It's talking to us folks. And I believe that this is exactly what we need to hear this morning. We need to know how to be a Christian in this world. So the context here, if you look, it was written by Peter to a mostly non-Jewish audience, a bunch of Gentiles. At that time, Gentiles were non-Jewish people. And it was written in a time when the violent outbreak of persecution hadn't come yet. And it was written to be read in several churches in a particular region. So let's look at what Peter tells us ordinary folks who live in a messed up world. Let's listen what he says. The first thing he says, verse 1, is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, we could start right there and end right there with that passage. We won't today. So for those of you who expected me to go for 10 minutes, it's not going to happen. But... It says that Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and we can be very encouraged this morning by this particular verse. Why? Peter is the one who wrote the letter. Plain and simple. Peter is often called this apostle of hope. But if we really step back and think of this, was Peter always like this? Think about Peter. For those of you who know a little bit of scripture, think about the story of Peter. Peter was not always like this. Matter of fact, we should be shocked when we read this sentence that Peter, the apostle, wrote this book. Peter was a brass and angry man who stuck his foot in his mouth all the time. He was a man who struggled with racism and ultimately he denied Jesus Christ three times. And so as we open this book and this passage, we should be amazed that Peter is the author of this book. What is this telling us this morning? That God actually can do something with us jacked up people. I don't know about you, but I am jacked up. I really do stupid stuff sometimes, and I think worse thoughts than you could ever imagine. And there's times when I think, how could the Lord ever use me? And yet we see very clearly a transformed life in a short period of time. Now, for most of us, the short period of time isn't the case for us. We've been on this journey for a long time. And we're still struggling. We're still putting our foot in our mouth. We're still doing things that we know we shouldn't. But we can be encouraged by this passage. Because Peter, this crazy, violent, 
denying Jesus dude is the one that is now writing this letter to people that he once hated. You see, God truly does transform people. And it may take short periods of time or it may take long periods of time. But the reality is that this morning we can be really encouraged by the fact that Peter, this crazy dude, is the one who was so transformed that now God is using him to write to people that he wouldn't even eat with just a few months before. You see, God truly transforms us. Peter had been rebuked, but then he had been refined. He had been broken and he had been built up. He went from cowardly to courageous. He went from bigotry to actually building bridges. Why? Because the power of God. See, some of us this morning are so stuck. We've been doing this thing for a while, and yet we still have the same old drama in our life, the same old sins in our life. And we cry out to God and we say, man, God, am I ever going to get over this? Am I ever going to quit looking at pornography? Am I ever going to quit being angry and losing my temper? Lord, help. And what we see here this morning is that God is able To take people who wrestle every day with sin and use them in a powerful way. So what does this transformed man say to people like you and I who are suffering in this life? He first says this, look, I'm an apostle by the grace of Christ. I am a transformed man by God's power. And we should all be encouraged. What else does he tell them? Look at verse 1. To those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's an interesting statement here. He says that they are elect exiles. Some of your Bibles may say strangers. So he says they're chosen strangers or chosen pilgrims is the idea here. So he first tells them that this isn't your home is what he's trying to tell them. You are strangers in this world. This is not your final resting place. Peter wants to remind them that though this life is hard, we must not forget that it is not our final resting place. We have so much ahead of us. This is what we call hope. Looking forward to something in the future. Have you ever thought about that of late? That your life here compared to eternity is really nothing? I mean, we live in the day to day. I get it. But man, have you ever stepped back and thought, man, that this life compared to eternity is nothing? If this is the beginning and this is the end. And God hovers over time and not bound to it. But this is the beginning of your life and this is the end of eternity. Man, where do we fit? Where does this life fit on that timeline? It's not even comparable. He first tells them, look, this isn't your home anyway. But he also reminds them that where they are at in this world is not an accident. Look what it says, verse 2. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God. So he tells these people, ordinary people like you and I, that they are strangers scattered about this world, that this isn't their home, but they're actually scattered about by his plan. And that word foreknowledge, we often get sort of ruffled by that word. It basically means that there was a plan that was in existence before you and I were, period. And we don't need to go any deeper than that. 
So what is this saying? It is saying that God scattered these folks amongst the world with a plan in mind. God has scattered you and I about this world with a plan in mind. Have you ever thought about that? That the place where you are at right now, as dramatic and crazy as some of our lives are, that God has actually placed us there. According to His plan. You are where you are at for a reason. Now, some of you might have objection to that. You might say, man, I'm in the middle of a cancer bout. Or some, one of my loved ones is ill. You might say, God, you mean to tell me this is part of your plan? Crazy as it sounds, yes. God has scattered us about and put us in different places in life and thrown different circumstances at us. For a reason. It's all according to his plan. See, some of you want to just leave the situation you're in. I get that. As a pastor of an urban church plant, there are many days where I'm just like, Lord, I'm ready to leave this situation that I'm in. But he says, no, according to my plan, I have scattered you about the Bay Area for such a time as this. And you are where you're at For a reason, according to the foreknowledge of God. Some of us live in very dark situations that many people don't even know about. Maybe it's our own personal sin or maybe we live in the midst of dysfunctionality in our marriages and our homes or whatever it is. But you see, God has a plan. I love what Acts 17, 26 through 28 says. He says this, and he made From one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So from Adam came everyone. And he determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So not only where they're going to be, but when they're going to be. Why? That they should seek God. In the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Peter is telling us, look, I know some of you are in difficult situations, but God has a plan while you are enduring through these circumstances. And he wants us to be a light in the midst of darkness. Matthew 5, 16, one of my favorite verses says, let your light so shine among men that they see your good works. And glorify your father, which is in heaven. So what does he tell them? First, he says, look, I'm jacked up. And yet, by the grace of God, I'm an apostle. Also, you're strangers. This isn't your home. And then, matter of fact, you are where you are at by the plan of God. So trust me. Verse 2, look what he says. In the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to Christ Jesus and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's just get the gist of this verse because we could spend weeks on this. So what we see here is God working beautifully here for our salvation. We see all three of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all working towards our salvation. God the Father had a plan before the salvation of the foundation of the world to save people and place people where he wanted them. We just learned that. And then it says in the sanctification of the spirit. So God, the father chose us before the world began. Then the spirit drew us to Christ. You see how God has done everything here. 
When you think of your salvation, we should not be thinking of ourselves. We should be looking to God and saying, wow, you really have done everything. The Spirit is the one who opens our eyes to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And remember, Peter wants these people to know this. John 6, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. You see, he chooses us. We don't choose him. He opens our eyes to our sin and his remedy for our sin. And then when we put our trust in Christ, we begin to walk like Jesus walked. But always remembering that even when we mess up, that we have been forgiven through his blood. This is what Peter is trying to say to ordinary people. He's trying to say, man, God has really done everything for us. Jesus, when that verse that we often quote, truly is the author and the finisher of our faith. None of us who are Christians in this room are Christians because of us and our goodness. It is because God has done everything for us. And I think we need to rejoice in that this morning. And here's what Peter does now that he sets the stage for verses 3 through 5. This is the gist of it, and then we'll just breeze right through the rest. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and it is kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What is Peter trying to tell broken, hurting, messy people? Think about this. He opens the letter by telling them what to believe. And look what he says there. Let's just do this. Why? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. So why has God given us this salvation? Because he's a God of mercy. You say many things about God. That he's loving. That he's this. That he's that. Maybe he's mean in our mind. But listen. What we see here is that God is a God of mercy. And mercy is a word that I think we throw around too lightly. I've always heard grace and mercy explained this way. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Right? Mercy is God not giving us what we do really deserve. And so God here, he's saying, look, this salvation that I want to encourage ordinary people with. He's saying, look, I want you to understand that God is a God of mercy. Why are you a Christian this morning? Because God is a God of mercy. And then he goes through past, present and future here. Past. He has caused us to be born again. Meaning God has done this sometime in the past. We were once dead in our sins and God has caused us to have new life. You see, some of us have been Christians a long time and we grow numb in our recollection of this moment or of this process. That God has stepped in and caused us to be born again. Think about that. You were dead and completely about you one time in your life. And so was I. And then God stepped in. That was the past. He caused us to be born again. The present. It says to a living hope. Notice that word living there. It is alive. It is present. It is active right now. 
Not only did God save us from the penalty of sin, he saved us from the power of sin in our everyday life. It is a living hope. You know what I find, church? Interesting here is that Peter is talking to Christians about the gospel. I want you to think about that. Peter knows that the fuel that will keep Christians going who live in a messy world is not to be reminded of what they need to be doing, but rather what they need to be believing. That's the first thing that Peter wants us to understand. So often as busy, self-sufficient Americans... That's us, busy, self-sufficient Americans. We rely on our own ability to do what God says. But Peter says, I want you first to believe what God says. I want you to remember what has really happened to you. Peter is opening this letter and reminding Christians about what the gospel is and what it really means. And when we hear the word gospel, let's be honest, Christians. We think, oh, the gospel That's what non-believers need to listen to. But he's talking to Christians and he's going out of his way to tell them what the gospel really is and encourage them first in what they should be believing and putting their hope in. He's going and he's saying, look, the gospel is exactly what ordinary people need, especially Christians. Most of the time we think of the gospel and we think, oh, that was 10 years ago. Or 40 years ago, I heard the gospel, I believed, and now I've moved on to greater spiritual truths, deeper things of the Bible. And Peter says there is no deeper spiritual truths. The gospel is what you need to hear as a Christian this morning, not just those of us who are struggling with faith. The gospel is much more than a time when you said a prayer and asked Jesus Christ into your heart and then you moved on. It is a living, active hope. And on our worst days, when I'm a horrible husband, when my eyes wander around sometimes, when I'm angry and impatient with my children, I don't need another to-do list from God. What I need to be reminded of is that though I'm jacked up and messed up and I can't get this right, that Jesus has got it right for me. You see, we need the gospel every single day. As Christians, but we become numb to the fact we forget that we were lost in our sins and that apart from God, we were destined to destruction. And yet he stepped in and he caused us to be born again past. Why? Because of his mercy to what a living hope that is present and powerful today and every day. The gospel is for Christians. One guy said, we have the knowledge of the gospel, but we deny the power of the gospel in our day-to-day lives. He goes on to say, the further into the gospel we go, then the bigger it gets. There is no way for us to wear it out. Folks, listen to me. When we are bad husbands, when our heart condemns us and tells us, man, you're not really a Christian. Look, you're still messing around with the same old stuff. When our minds go crazy and our conscience condemns us and we have those thoughts like, man, am I really even a Christian? When we commit that same sin over and over, what do we need? Buckle up. 
No, we need the gospel. We need to be reminded. We have to preach this stuff to ourselves. That is what Peter is doing. He says, look, you have a living hope. And in order for you to go forward, you need to know this and believe this and say this to yourself every day. Why? Because the flesh and our heart condemn us and tell us we're not worthy and tell us that God doesn't love us or that God couldn't love someone like us because of our past. Peter says, no, you need to be reminded of the most important thing. And that is the gospel. We need to get off the spiritual hamster wheel, ladies and gentlemen. What do I mean by that? Every day we're just caught in this rut where we're just running and we're trying to earn God's favor. We're just running and we're running and it feels like we're not going anywhere. And when we mess up, we're just down for a couple weeks. And then we hear a good sermon or something or a song and we jump back on the spiritual hamster wheel. God, please be pleased with me. And Peter says, no, I want you to know what Christ has already done for you. This is the fuel that you need. We need a living hope, a gospel every day. Let's go forward. How? How did this happen? It says through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because of what Jesus did. I mean, think about that. God's wrath and deserved and perfect judgment was laid on Christ. And he did for us what we could not do ourselves. He satisfied the wrath of God. And we know that he was satisfied with this because Jesus rose from the dead. It was a declaration that God said, look, this sacrifice, it's sufficient. And then he says the future. So we see why? Because he's a God of mercy. What has happened in the past, he's caused us to be born again. He has done it. Presently, we have a living hope and power over sin and we have the gospel every day. How did he do this? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he throws in this last thing, a future to look forward to. It says to an inheritance kept in heaven for you by God. Have you ever thought about this? This future hope that we have. When is the last time you just sat down and thought that there is going to come a time when the sky is going to part? And Jesus Christ and all his angels are going to come down and they are going to receive us sinners who deserve death. But Jesus is going to receive us to himself and we are going to dwell with him forever. And all that the father has will be ours to an inheritance that is stored up in heaven for us. Think about this. All the galaxies, all the universe that God owns and that he created, he now says, look, all this is yours for eternity. I mean, have you ever thought about that? When is the last time we just got out of this hustle and bustle and fastness of this world and thought, man, this could be the day that Jesus literally parts the clouds and comes riding on that white horse to deliver his people? I remember I went to Bible college with this dude who was annoying. And the reason he was annoying is because every day, one, he was joyful. And I was just like, no one's that happy. (laughs) Two, (laughs) he would come up to me and he would, and not to me, but other people, and he would say, hey, man. I'd be like, hey. He'd be like, today could be the day. And I thought, 
first of all, get away from me. I need my coffee. But now that I look back, this is exactly what God wants us to anticipate and to think about. Like, whoa, today could be the day that we meet Jesus. And if it isn't today, guess what? It's one day closer to the day that we will. He says, man, you have an inheritance and a future hope. And what do I want you to understand, Christian, that is struggling, Peter is saying to us. Think about this. Believe this. Go deep into this every single day. And this is how we really Grow. This is the wonderful salvation that we are to celebrate. This is what is supposed to bring us joy. This is what's supposed to give us peace that surpasses all understanding. Not doing all the right things, but believing all the right things. And when we believe all the right things, guess what happens? We become grateful Thankful Christians, not bitter people. And I struggle with this all the time who just get caught up in this world and we get angry at God and we we're mad. No, when we think about the gospel, it causes us to be grateful and thankful. It causes us to say, man, I was once blind, but now I see. I was once dead in my trespasses and sins, but you, O God, according to your great mercy, have caused me to be born again to a living hope. And I am no longer a slave to sin. And on our worst days, guess what? We're like, oh, God, this world sucks. I hate it. But man, guess what? I know that I have a future inheritance that one day and it may be today that you're going to come back. And all the pain and all the suffering and all the tears is going to be wiped away. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, that's how we grow as Christians. Some of us are just wanting to grow. We want to grow. We want to grow. And we want to go deep in the things of God. Go deep in what we already know. And that's what's going to cause us to quit looking at that internet when we know we shouldn't. That's what's going to cause us as husbands to honor our wives and to love our wives and to be gentle and not macho jerks all the time. That's what's going to cause us to reach a world that is in desperate need of this type of salvation. And then in closing, what does Peter tell them? He's not done reminding them of the gospel. You would think, well, maybe he's done here (laughs) telling them about things that they should already know. But actually, he goes on to tell them something different. I'm just going to read this and just say a few things and close in prayer. He says in verse six, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And you are obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, he keeps going. It's almost like he can't stop. He's just filled with joy. And he's just like, do you understand the salvation that has been given to us? And then he goes on, he says, concerning this salvation, verse 10. 
The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring. They didn't understand. (laughs) Moses did not understand what we'd understand. And they inquired what person or time the Messiah would come. That the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And it was revealed to Moses and Isaiah and the prophets and those who went before us. That they were serving not themselves but you and I. In the things that have now been announced to us. We know it. Through those who preach the gospel, the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Listen to this last phrase. Things into which angels long to look. He says, look, you're going to go through hard times. But he says, rejoice in this. And what is he talking about in this? The gospel that he's trying to tell us. What is the antidote for bad news? Good news. What is the antidote or the remedy for those of us who are struggling? The good news. He says this. Rejoice in this. Though you may suffer through this world. And though you may go through cancerous and chemotherapy. Though you may have lost someone close to you. Rejoice in the salvation that has been given to you. And you will suffer in this life. And then he says concerning this salvation. The angels are in all of it. Think about this in closing. He says, the angels in heaven look at the gospel, the salvation. Remember it says concerning the salvation. And their mouths drop. They're in awe. These are the same beings that all day, every day, we know this from Isaiah 6, that there are beings in heaven who cover their eyes, cover their feet, and they have some wings. I don't know what they look like. They sound kind of creepy. And all they do every day, they're just in awe of God, and all they say is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they do it for eternity, and they're happy, and they're joyful. And yet these same beings who see God in all his glory looks at us and the salvation that has been given to us. And they're like, whoa, really? You mean this holy God who I can't even look at actually loves these people who rebel against him? And they're in awe. Their jaws drop and they say that that's that word there. They long to look on it. They just want to understand how can this be? How can God, who is holy and perfect, love people who don't like him and who want to be their own little mini gods? Peter wants us to understand and he wants us to look deep into our salvation this morning and say, whoa. When is the last time you thought about your salvation and you just said, wow? When is the last time you thought about the fact that you couldn't save yourself? You couldn't redeem yourself. And yet God in his mercy stepped in and said, you're mine. And we went kicking and screaming. We still rebelled. But he said, no, you're mine. And I love you. And I love you so much that I'm going to demonstrate this love for you. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you are a Christian this morning and you hear this message from first Peter, as far as what he's saying, and you think, Yeah, I know I'm a Christian. So what? Brother and sister, you have missed 
the whole point of Scripture. If this doesn't make your jaw drop, if this doesn't make your heart well up and fill with joy, then you have misunderstood and I have misunderstood this salvation. We grow numb to this, especially us church folks, don't we? We hear preaching and we hear the Bible every day or whatever it is and we just get in our little sort of routines. What does Peter want us to know this morning? He says, get out of it. Get out of your religious slumber and wake up to the gospel, the salvation that is yours. When is the last time we were in all of God? When is the last time our jaws drop like the angels? When is the last time we just cried out to the Lord, oh, thank you for saving a wretched person like me? The key to Christian growth is this. That we not grow beyond the gospel. Or get past it. Peter is saying that the key to Christian growth is for us to grow deeper into it. How are we to live as Christians in this jacked up world? One thing we know from Peter is that we are to preach this good news to ourselves every day. We need to run to the gospel and find rest for our dry and weary souls. That's what we need. And my prayer for us this morning is that we not be complacent concerning this great salvation we have. Preach it to yourself every day. When your heart tells you you're not worthy, when your mind tells you you're not good enough, preach it to yourself. According to God's mercy, I've been born again. I have been given a living hope. And I have a future inheritance that cannot be stolen from me. Let's pray. Father, I just ask for myself and for the people in this room that you would forgive us for being dulled to this glorious salvation that you have set before us. There are many of us in this room, Lord, where you know our hearts and you know that we have lost sight of what you have done for us. We have become bitter and complacent. And the good news of the gospel seems like old news to us. God, would you revive our hearts? Help us to hear what Peter says to us this morning. Help us to be thankful, joyful, grateful Christians who have been redeemed by the King of Kings. Father, we can't do this in and of ourselves, Lord. We'll leave this church today, all of us, numb if you don't do something in our hearts. God, how can we hear this gospel, a gospel so great that angels look at it and their jaws drop, and yet we ourselves don't glory in it? God, restore the joy of our salvation. In Christ's name we pray, amen.